Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So the Lord spoke to me, and so the first thing we're going to do is take out all the chairs, and we're going to all sit on... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's fine. Oh, my goodness. Before we get into the trip, we're going to talk about the trip. Before we do that, I, uh, I kind of heard that our new youth pastor, Tyler, did a pretty good job last week. <laughs> Later on in this sermon, you'll probably be wishing he was preaching again this morning. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm dangerous after these trips, I'm telling you. Over the course of four or five days, the Lord gave me the opportunity to teach or to preach eight times. <laughs> and he didn't let me prepare for any of them. <laughs> Y'all are like, you don't understand, Okay. I over-prepare. That's just, I, I'm, I'm an overachiever when it comes to that. I spend usually 20 hours of my week with the messages. And so some, there, were, there were a couple of times when I stood up with this Bible, and until I stood up with 400 people, more of the people that were, than were, are here right now, looking at me, <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to say. That's not funny. But the Holy Spirit didn't fail one time to speak what they needed, I'm hoping, what they needed right in that moment. I got to do leadership training with their elders and pastors every morning, three different sessions. Uh, You saw the the deal where I was washing a guy's feet. I was teaching on foot washing. I was teaching on communion. I was teaching on baptism. I was teaching on, on servant leadership. I was expecting... That's the room right there. I was expecting 20 people because that's about how many elders and leaders there were in this in Siwal, this city that we were in from different churches, different communities. And the first morning there were 60 people. And I'm like, because they ended up bringing their wives in with them. Now you have to understand, in this culture, it was men, okay? We've moved, hopefully, well, not everywhere, but we've tried to move past that, at least here at New Life. And, uh, but... There, all the leadership were men, and I expected men, but man, they brought their wives, and the, the next day got more, and then the, finally, by the, the last day, we had over 150 people there for these things. Kids are going everywhere. We had, we had children leaders there that morning, uh, and the, here's, the, here's the thing. Because of your faithfulness to give towards missions, we were able to feed all of these people an amazing meal all three mornings, all three days. And what's really amazing is, you know, those brick plantations, they were actually some of the people, some of those those masters actually let some of their people leave and come to some of those sessions. And you could pick them out. You knew exactly who they were, but they got to come and eat and, and, and have a meal like they haven't had in so long. And so it was such a blessing. Um, we did four crusade nights or services in the evenings where we had many, many people saved, many healed. And it was just from 200 to 400 people gathered each night. Um, one really, really great thing that I was not expecting, total surprise, after the Sunday morning service, which was in a, a field <laughs> under some trees, yeah, anyways, they found some water nearby on the, in the field, and we got to do baptism. 
And so I got to baptize nine people, spur of the moment. It was amazing, beautiful time. And Nadim, who is Pastor Sammy's, our connection there, Pastor Sammy's right-hand man, Nadim, got to be the first one baptized. He'd never been baptized. Really, really cool. Like I told you earlier, I visited six different brick-making plantations with these indentured families and spoke with them, visited with them, prayed with, with them. Um, and this is, I think, where we're going to be focusing our, all of our firepower right here in helping these families. Would you guys be interested in doing that? That... Just how many have been watching the Pakistani news or news about Pakistan in the last few days? Anybody been watching about the woman that was uh, the courts released? Not released. They, they overturned a ruling. She was found to have committed blasphemy for drinking from the same cup of a Muslim. And they were going to kill her, execute her. That's a different world, folks. She was going to be executed. She, she was, had already been in prison nine years for this. Nine years. Well, they had a progressive judge that overturned that, but they didn't let, let her go. Her life is still hanging in the balance. And if they do let her go, she could be killed in the streets. She worked and lived in a place like this. This is where she comes from if that helps you with any context of what's going on there. Now, for $1,500 thereabout, you, we can release a family. Now, yeah, you're like, that's not much money at all. Well, to them, it's everything. They never can get there. And you're like, why don't we just go ahead and start writing checks now because we can raise a lot more than that right now, this morning. Yes, but where are they going to go? See, right now they have a roof over their head and some food to eat. Yeah, it's a rough conditions, but at least they're not starving to death and they're not on the streets with these small children. So another church gave Sammy the first money and so there's been one family to be released this week. And I said, Pastor Sammy, I want you to keep up with them and tell me how they do and what's happening and how they're getting along. I said, because if we can come up with a system and a way to get them back on their feet, then we're going to get behind this thing, but I don't want to turn a family loose only to go out and have to go through the whole cycle again. Does that make sense? One of the big things that happened was that we had five Muslims give their heart to Jesus Christ. And then another incredible story, that this rivals the one with the girl that gave me the money. Uh, we, I prayed with two Muslim women one night. There's one of them right there. And they came for healing. And I looked at them in the eyes and I said, you understand. And through the translator, I said, I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. And she said, yes. Yes, I understand. I prayed for them. I went about my day the next day and then got word the following day that they had gone to that area pastor, woken him up at 5 a.m., knocking on his door. Couldn't wait another moment. Both of them were healed in a divine way from my God. And they had to tell somebody. We need to pray that not only does God protect them in their community with their husbands, 
but that God uses it for his glory in those healings. One of the most humbling things that's ever happened to me was, uh, I keep telling, saying that, don't I? It's over and over. I went into the home of one of the elders, and before we ate, he began to, he kneeled down and washed my feet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, one of the goals that I had of going there was to look at land, because they do not have a building. They do not have a church. And I looked at a property or two, but God began to speak to me about that. Where where do you build it? Where do you build it? There's communities all over this huge city. Think about Decatur, think about Douglasville, think about Canton, think about Marietta, think about Kennesaw. I mean, where do you build it? These people can't travel. Where do you build it? How long is it going to take for you to build 10 or 20 churches? And then God began to speak, you're likely to mess up what they have. I was like, what are you talking about, Lord? He said, just chill. And start thinking about what I'm teaching you. And that goes right into our series, The Gathering. I feel the Holy Spirit. I want to begin with one of the most important scriptures about the church in the New Testament, but I want to pray. Father, please, please, please help people to have open ears and hearts and spirits this morning and let your word come alive. Let it be prophetic. Let us really, really understand and begin to grasp, at least begin to grasp what you're teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in Matthew chapter 16. It's on the screen, but it's also going to, you, you can, you can uh, look it up. While, while you're doing that in your Bibles, let me reiterate what Pastor Cody said about next level next Sunday night. You don't want to miss that. If you're not signed up, what's wrong with you? Come on. It is going to be a fun night, but it's going to be a, a, a night full of vision. So you really need to be here. Sign up for that. Today's the last day. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, that was home base right there at the Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful place, probably my favorite place that's over there when we visited. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, I think they were walking and talking. This is just in my mind. They're walking and talking. About this, you know, they're Elijah, Jeremiah. And then I think in my mind, he stops and turns around and looks at them and kind of takes a beat, kind of looks at them all in the eyes, and he's like, well, what about you? And that's what I want us to look at. What about you? Turn to somebody and say, what about you? <laughs> now turn to the other person and say, I don't know, what about you? <laughs> Don't you love when preachers do that? No, you don't. It's fine. What about you, Jesus says? Who do you say I am? It's the question of the ages. A question that every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet 
has to answer in this life or the next. Jesus is asking us, who do you say I am? It is a personal question. This is not a question that anybody can answer for you. I don't care how good of a Christian your wife or your husband is. I don't care how great of a follower of Jesus your mom is or was, your grandmother. Nobody can answer this question but you. What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? Who do you say? I am. Is he just a historical figure? Yeah, he, he, he was alive. I believe he was a great teacher, great man. He's a prophet. Folks, Jesus is either who he says he was and is, or he was crazy. There is no, oh, he was a great prophet. He was a great, t- are you kidding me? He's either the King of kings and Lord of lords, the reigning King of glory coming again, died for our sins, or he was crazy. I choose to believe he's coming again one day, very soon, to take us home. But not to be melodramatic, which is hard for me today, your answer to that question affects everything about your life and ultimately what you believe about the church. What do you truly believe about Jesus? Listen to Peter's timeless response in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, in southern vernacular, he was like, Peter, I love you, man, but you ain't smart enough for that kind of answer without God. Verse 18, and I tell you, Jesus said, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Say that with me. Build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So the name, it gets a little confusing, because the name Peter actually means rock. And so some theologies and some scholars say that and believe that Jesus was going to build his church, his people, his new movement on an imperfect man. Other scholars believe that Jesus was not referring to Peter himself, but to the revelation that Peter spoke under the unction of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus wouldn't build his church on a, his future movement, his, his, his future people on an imperfect person, but on the fact that he is who he says he is, our Savior and our Lord. Give him praise if you believe that. All right, everybody tracking so far. Does that make sense? The four of you. All right. Let's go back and talk about it again. All right, now I'm going to kind of mess with your head a little bit. Mess with your vocabulary just a little bit. The majority of your English New Testament is a word-for-word translation. Say that, translation. Translation. From the original Greek language that it was written in. But not so for the word church. Church was not a direct translation. It was a substitution. Say that. Not the same thing. 
And unfortunately, it was not a good one. And it's very misleading. The term church comes from the German word kirsch, meaning house of the Lord or temple. House of the Lord or temple. And you're like, well, what's wrong with that? Nope, nothing there. <laughs> there was a lot wrong with that because Jesus was using not a religious term at all. He was using a secular term, ecclesia, which is not a religious term, and it does not mean church, it does not mean house of the Lord, and it most certainly does not mean temple. Jesus was trying to start something new. He was not trying. He was starting something new. And the temple in Jerusalem represented everything that he was changing. And it represented Judaism. The Old Covenant, or in your Bible, it's called the Old Testament. Jesus was there to fulfill the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law, because nobody else could. And then begin something new. The new covenant or the new, come on, in his blood. So the last thing he wanted them thinking was temple. When he made that statement. He didn't want them thinking, I'm going to church. He wanted them thinking, I am the church. Look at the screen. Ecclesia was a secular term used to describe a gathering of people for a specific purpose. A gathering of people. Say gathering. An assembly of people for a specific purpose. Often it was talking about an army gathering. Ooh, that would preach. Come on. Army of the Lord. Yeah, come on. Help me. I could sing about ten songs right there, sister. Come on. But here, the, these religious translators in the, in the 1500s who were very religious, <laughs> very religious, they didn't know what to do with this secular term, ecclesia. They got unnerved about it. They're like, surely Jesus didn't mean to use that word, so we're going to substitute this other one that looks better and sounds better. But I want you to hear me. Jesus did not predict a place. He predicted a people. Jesus did not predict a place. He predicted a people. It has nothing to do with a geographical location or a building. We are the church. We are the gathering. Paul says we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We have to think differently. Oh no, pastor, the church is right here. It's, it's, it's off exit 14. I tell people about it all the time. You've got to go to my church. All right, all right, calm down. I'm not going to make you stop saying the word church. I've been looking forward to this series. And by the way, if I tried to make you, you couldn't, because I can't either. It's a part of us, isn't it? It's just a part of our vocabulary. But I've been looking forward to this series and the timing of it. Come on. Coming right off the heels of Pakistan is just, uh, it's God. 
because as I was there, God was revealing to me what the gathering really is all about through these precious people. Spoiler alert. It's not about you. It's not about me either. Spoiler alert. It's not about our needs or preferences or worship style or if the kids like children's church or not or if the coffee is just right or if I preach you happy or not. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about we. It's about we. Look at the screen. The gathering is about the body of Christ functioning as one for the glory of God. See, the Pakistanis that I ministered to all week, they didn't even have a building. This teaching would have been, they didn't even need this teaching. They don't need this. They they totally get it because we met in different places every single time. We rented a restaurant for the morning sessions. We met in alleys and in fields and in courtyards for these services. They also know it's not about their personal preferences. The sound system was awful. You would have run, our our professional sound man, Scott, back there, he would have just keeled over immediately. There would have been no resuscitation. I mean, he would have been gone. The singing was not good. They didn't have kids' church. There were children running everywhere and babies crying. It was chaotic. It was disorganized. But the Spirit of God was there. But if we, had, if we had services like that all the time here, there wouldn't be anybody here. I'm just telling you. I probably wouldn't go either. Now, look, I'm not trying. Spent, I spent the whole week this week. I had my message. I spent the whole week taming it a little bit. Because when I come off of these trips, I'm serious. I can be dangerous and mean. I'm serious. I, I see all of this stuff, and then I think about what we have and what we do, and all. I'm like, oh, rah. I come back like a dragon, fire breathing. And I've learned, because I've got a few years on me, that you can't do that. People don't receive that way. So I'm not getting on to us. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty for nice things, having nice things, or for doing things with excellence, because the Word does say, do things with excellence as unto the Lord. We do the very best we can with what we have, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I know I'm a little intense this morning <laughs> and maybe a little dramatic. Some of you who were here last week for the first time and you're probably thinking, where's that youth pastor? Bring him back up here. I want to I hear him. I, I liked him better. Listen, I'm not going to start passing out Kool-Aid or build a compound in LJ. okay? You just, it's fine. I'll be fine. I'll be okay. Everybody smile. I built that in there just to kind of, All right, back to serious. It's just that sometimes we need realignment. If your car started veering off the road and you weren't steering that way, what does it need? It needs an alignment. It needs a realignment. You would go and get that worked on or you'd end up in a ditch. You go to blow your nose and it's like, maybe maybe you drive a car like that. Get it worked on. Well, this series is meant to act as a realignment for our house. I have no authority over any other church. But as long as God has me here, 
We're going to do everything we possibly can to be aligned to the New Testament, not to the church down the street, to the New Testament and what we need to be according to his word. Now, some sermon series are meant to, to work on us personally. We did a series recently, some of you were here, for, uh, called Forgive. Powerful, powerful, but that was very personal in dealing with forgiveness in our life. This is more of a collective sermon series. It's meant for direction for the whole group, but there's personal aspects to it. But it's more collective, and for most of the Christians in the world, like the Pakistanis, I don't even need to preach this. They get it. That's how they think. They think as a group. They think as a collective. But us in the Western world, and especially America, it's hard for us to get that because the time, from the time that we're come out of the wombs, breathing, until now, we, it, it, the fact that we have to be individuals and think for ourselves and do for ourselves, come on, that's, that's inbred. It's, it's, it's ingrained in us from the time we're this big. It's hard for us to comprehend. We're not wired. And it's not a better than or worse than or your fault or my. It just is. We are an individualistic society. And so the problem is, <laughs> come on, y'all, loosen up a little bit. The New Testament, the kingdom of God, is all about preferring our brother and our sister. It's about lifting the other person higher than ourselves. But the problem is every day, all day, all we see people around us scratching and crawling and stepping on people to get where? To the top. And listen, I want you to hear me. As disciples of Jesus, listen, listen, listen. That is never okay. It doesn't matter what kind of environment you work in or school that you go to or whatever context you are in. It is never okay to act that way. And so it's hard for us to get this. It's hard for us to understand. God's been dealing with me about the condition of the American church for a long time. It's not just because I went to Pakistan. But you know what else? He's been dealing with me. He's been dealing with my life, my vision, my leadership. And I hope you're glad he's dealing with me because I wouldn't want to follow a spiritual leader that wasn't listening to God. <laughs> half of you agree. <laughs> the other half is like, I'm actually good with just, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here's the problem. The description that God gives us in the New Testament of a healthy gathering is a far cry from where most of the churches are in America. There's a major disconnect between the New Testament and most gatherings. We've got the bells and the whistles. We're professional singers and preachers and leaders, and again, there's nothing wrong with that inherently. But if those things become the benchmark for success, and I believe they have, if those things become more important than the cause of Christ, if those things become more important than making disciples of Jesus Christ, then we've got a problem. And I say, well, I say all of that. I'm preaching all of that in this intro to say, I think we do have a problem. And we need 
realignment. I think we're doing much better than a lot here at New Life, but I am not satisfied. And the minute that I get satisfied and the minute that you get satisfied, I believe we're done. I believe that's when God lifts his hand from us. I have to admit something right up front. I feel this deeply, but I don't have all the answers. I don't have a complete picture of how a New Testament gathering, a New Testament church, what it actually looks like in a modern culture like this. I've seen them all around the world, but those were very different cultures. This is all I've ever known. This is all I've ever known. And I'm not saying God is done with that because I don't think he is. But there's more. There's more things that he's teaching, more that he wants us to do. And I, I don't have the full picture yet, but I'm praying and you're praying and we need to pray together that God will reveal those things over the course of time because I think he's coming back. I do believe that for this realignment to begin, we need to recognize some things that we've lost and re-embrace some things that we've put down. We need to find them again. And I think that's a good place to start. Next week. Y'all coming back? Probably not now. Okay. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Let me finish with this. Obviously, this is very important to me. It's very close to my heart, and God's really, really dealing with me. But I'm not the only leader. I don't want you to think Pastor Allen's like on an island. I'm reading books. I'm talking to pastors and other leaders and elders and people, people, congregational people who God is speaking to. There's an urgency. That's the word. There's an urgency in the body of Christ like I've never felt in my whole life. Yes. Anybody else ready? Anybody else excited? Anybody else ready for something different and for something new and for something powerful? (laughs) Trying to imagine a guest here today. I love you. I'm so glad that you're here. You're like, oh my gosh. Man, we're so glad that you're here. You came at a perfect time. But I believe he is speaking because the the American church has strayed so far from the New Testament purpose of making disciples and uniting believers. Say that with me. Making disciples and uniting believers. Say it again. Making disciples and uniting believers of all races, all nations, all tongues under the banner of his name alone. Not a denomination, not a worship style, not a superstar pastor, not a financial gain, but the body of the living Christ. Now give him the best praise you can. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, the minute you start putting me on a pedestal, you won't see me again. (laughs) 
You're like, no danger in that. You're not really all that much. Ephesians 5.32, I want to give you this. Listen, listen, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Or Christ and the gathering. Folks, I'm done. Listen, we cannot lose sight of the mission. We cannot lose the mystery of what it is. Listen, listen. To be a part of something that Jesus began and spoke about 2,000 years ago. To be a small part of the greatest movement this world has ever known. To be a small part of the gathering. Will you bow your heads?